No, thank you very much for, for allowing me to speak right after Jadwinder because um, the connection between the work is obvious and we are still not connecting it actively enough. <clears throat> this is um, uh, going a little bit deeper into similar uh, questions uh, using a different modeling approach. And uh, I need to acknowledge the work of quite a number of people who are all on this slide and I'm not going to read them all out for you. But I also want to mention that this has be, uh, been done particularly because of a direct request of the World Bank to understand these systems a little bit better and to uh, better understand the sensitivity of, of Amazonian rainforest to climate change. Uh, you all know, and uh, Richard Betts already has referred to this yesterday, that for about 10 years now we have been aware that um, climate warming is, having, uh, is possibly having some impact on, on Amazonian rainforest. This was a work by Peter Cox a while ago, uh, 10 years ago, which first time showed that uh, you could have a drying effect uh, that would lead to a massive loss of vegetation carbon, as this diagram shows. And effectively, it's a very uh, sort of bleak uh, way to show that uh, this would be a loss of, uh, almost total loss of Amazonian rainforest, which basically just came out of the, out of the GCM, out of the couple GCM simulations at that time. And uh, everybody was surprised, but nobody had actually looked much closer uh, yet what it meant and how, how much realism there was in terms of the actual ecosystem response to it. Um, this was a, a geographical picture of a similar calculation at that time where we also found that the overall balance perhaps for the land biosphere wasn't such a big issue in, in these scenarios uh, because there were similar large sinks for, for carbon in northern uh, forests but that several areas, both uh, the Amazonian rainforest and also India, uh, were large potential sources of carbon. Now it soon became clear, well, the, the question was then, uh, could this actually be more important than, than deforestation, which of course everybody was already very much concerned with. And if so, at what degree of warming, which is uh, very much the topic of this particular conference. It became quickly clear that uh, we were looking at something that was very much linked to a, a small group of climate models and it wasn't actually shown in the same way by, by, uh, by a number of different models. If we look at it over time, again these are the early calculations with, with not much even checking of the, of the local behavior of, of, of the models, if this is the, the carbon balance of Amazonia from 1900 to the end of the 21st century, here's the zero line. Yeah, you basically saw a, a small sink in the, in the 20th century and then if you use the Hadley Center uh, simulations of, that, of those days, you got these massive dieback events throughout the 21st century which essentially disintegrated the, the rainforest. And if you added uh, either a moderate or a, or a high estimate of, of deforestation fluxes to that, then it became clear that for this particular calculation there wasn't such a massive uh, uh, importance anymore for, for deforestation since a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the biomass would actually be gone by the middle of the century due to climate impacts. But if you looked at different uh, climate models, for example the ECA model, then first of all there was no climate impact at all at that time. There was basically uh, through the same uh, emission scenarios there was uh, happily continuation of, a, of a, a small sink during the 21st century. And then, of course, the comparison with the, with the low or the high deforestation uh, estimates would, would necessarily uh, provide us with a major impact. So, 
uh, where are we uh, with relation to that? Uh, can we today, 10 years later, actually narrow the uncertainties down a little bit more? Or uh, are we essentially in a similar situation? It was clear that a more comprehensive scenario analysis was, was necessary, and we tried to, to do that uh, with an improved impact model uh, by using all the available GCM scenarios, uh, also just as uh, Jadwin has also shown, but additionally um, with a weighting applied to them according to their ability to recover or not the present-day um, uh, climatic patterns of the region. This is work by Peter Cox and Tim Jupp from, from Exeter. Um, and I will only glance at that briefly here, but it's, it perhaps helps us a little bit more uh, uh, comparing between the different scenarios. Uh, I don't need to talk about the, the land use change scenarios very much because uh, this is work uh, that Jadwinda has also referred to. But it's clear that if we want to compare uh, low and high uh, future situations, we need to recognize that there are different socioeconomic pathways in the region and different um, um, possibilities of protecting the, the forests. And uh, this is actually, as we speak, uh, I believe policy is, is, is unfolding on, on, on that point and perhaps even in a positive way. Uh, what is clear, or what was certainly clear for us, is that more comprehensive models and better uh, checked and validated models to, to the actual uh, functioning of the, of the ecosystem were needed than those we had at the time. Um, uh, it was certainly for the first time uh, that the, the control runs for these models were compared to, to a present-day situation and uh, that the question was asked, are we missing any essential processes? In the early uh, calculations, essentially there was uh, very high uncertainty about the fire response, as there were basically no, no data on, on the fire in the, in the undisturbed forest. So uh, substantial work was, uh, was carried out to embed a, a new and, and more developed fire model in, into the context of the LPJ uh, dynamic vegetation model and our assumption and our hope still in a shortage of data and, uh, on, and, and other hard quantitative knowledge is that this is actually improving uh, the, the simulation of precisely those processes that Jadwinder has been referring to. Now, um, if you want to isolate the different uh, factors that, that are putting the forest at risk, it's good to start from a, a completely artificial uh, situation that is one of potential natural vegetation in the, full in the total absence of any, any land use change. And this is what we did here first. These maps they come in a simple color coding scheme, which essentially by the amount of biomass for different plant types uh, tries to classify major uh, vegetation types like open forests and closed forests and woodlands and shrubs and savannas. And this would be the standard uh, control simulation for, for the present day. <coughs> we, uh, there, there are maybe issues with this, but believe, we believe this, this broadly uh, covers the major trends in, in the vegetation. And the question is, do any of the feedback systems that we know of, for example, from fires, from uh, the interaction between deforestation and uh, local changes in, in the, in the condition uh, of, of uh, in the growth conditions for, for trees, and uh, the, the microclimatic or mesoclimatic effects of opening the forest, um, can they be all captured in, in, in such a model at the broad scale or not? Now, we would certainly not claim that they're all perfectly captured by now, but we, we, uh, we would, uh, there's not the time now to document that in detail, but we would uh, want to insist that since the last 10 years, uh, substantial progress has been made on all of these factors. So what happens if we do the multi-scenario analysis uh, with, a, with a 
uh, with all those uh, scenarios that are available from the IPCC AR4. Um, this is first looking at where we are for these scenarios with respect to, uh, to the four degrees line that is uh, the topic of this conference. Now this is, I should note, this is four degrees on global land. <coughs> um, uh, you see that there is a number of, of um, models that then actually exceed that, that uh, four degree line, uh, both for Amazonia uh, regionally and also for, for the globe. And we particularly look at some of these in, in the following slides. Um, rainfall changes, as has been pointed out, in a very uh, uh, chaotic way, if you will. The different models show different amounts of rainfall change for different scenarios, some of them very widely between scenarios, some of them not so much. Some, of, uh, some models increase rainfall, some uh, decrease rainfall, and you see here to the far right of the diagram, uh, this is in alphabetical order, um, the, the, the Hadley Center model is basically the one with the greatest amount of rainfall reduction. So, if we run the uh, uh, LPJ through, through those kinds of uh, simulations, here's only three, three uh, uh, climate models shown for the um, A2 scenario for the 21st century. You see the dieback as uh, expected and as we knew from, from before. Uh, not for all of Amazonia, but for, for, for large part of the potentially natural vegetation, total absence of any um, uh, deforestation here, completely artificial world. You, you see that very strongly in the Hadley Center simulations and you don't see it at all in any of the others. Does that take us anywhere or is it basically completely inconclusive? Well, you have to employ uh, the risk and an analysis uh, consideration there, of course. And uh, again, Jadwinda uh, made some of these arguments already, that if you want to be sure that you maintain those carbon stocks that are presently there, then you shouldn't uh, embark in a, on, a, on a climatic pathway of the planet that implies the risk of major dieback. So from that point of view, having this map is, is bad enough. I mean, that, that already shows us that, that there's something serious going on. But can we go, and, and we can quantify that. We can uh, look at the numbers here in terms of areas degraded. Degraded, we uh, call those areas that, that shift basically from one of our previous vegetation types to, uh, to, to another one, usually one with less biomass. And we see that uh, basically 48% under this A2 scenario for Amazonia <coughs> until the year 2100, particularly in the sec second half of the 21st century, uh, might be severely degraded. If, Perhaps the word dieback is actually an unfortunate term because it sort of gives the impression that we, we speak about the complete loss of everything. But severe degradation, we think, is something uh, that, that describes the situation better. And it's almost, as far as the, the consequences are concerned for, for biodiversity and for human livelihoods, it's, it's almost equally bad. Now for the weighting. The, <coughs> the, um, the, if, if we look for the present-day rainfall patterns um, over the annual cycle, um, and this has been done for four different sub-regions in, in Amazonia, then you can actually rank uh, the, the 17 or so climate models by, um, by their ability to recover or not these particular rainfall uh, um, patterns. And uh, one of the problems is that this is different, the result of this analysis is different for every sub-region. Um, and you can do it, of course, for, uh, for, for the entire region too, but it's, from that point of view, it's also not really terribly conclusive. What you notice is that the, the Hadley Center is actually here somewhere in the left of this, uh, of this weighting uh, factor, so it's not one of, the, uh, one, one of the models that gives us the highest 
capability of recovering present-day rainfalls, uh, nor does it uh, do that for, the, for any of the, uh, of the other subregions. But at, this, at the same time, this, sensi uh, this, uh, this method, despite being rather sensitive, uh, it doesn't give us always like the top models uh, coming out the best. De depending on which region you look at and which, which f uh, climatic factor you're looking at, you, you get different models that are coming out uh, at the top. And uh, in a way, it's, it's still an open discussion of how you, you best interpret this. In the same ordering as we've just seen the, <coughs> the, the climate models, you see here the, the relative biomass changes between uh, uh, today and the end of the 21st century. And you see also that there is no consistent uh, pattern along this line in some way. The, of course, the, the Hadley Center model is here, and uh, most other models actually show some increase in biomass. Some show uh, more or less uh, neutral situations. So it's, it, is, it is not an easy situation to interpret. And you, uh, you basically are left where, where, where you were with the situation that you have to either rule out this possibility completely or else you have to face the risk of, of, um, of substantial loss of biomass under some uh, assumptions in the climate model. Now, what about CO2? Edwinda also referred to that, <clears throat> and that is something that uh, is very hard to quantify in, its, in terms of its direct effects because there's no experimental evidence at the large enough scale from tropical forests. Essentially, what you would need would be a big phase experiment running for maybe 10 years or so, where, where you enhance the CO2 in, in the canopy and then hopefully can, can uh, derive how the entire ecosystem responds to that. In the model, the only thing we can do is we can basically turn CO2 off. We can say, okay, we accept uh, climate change uh, in the same way as we've done before, <coughs> but we, we assume that there's no, no effect of CO2. And what happens if we do that for the, for the control situation is, of course, not very much. Um, this is uh, basically... Uh, more or less the same simulation, but if we turn CO2 off towards uh, during the entire 21st century, then what happens is basically total dieback. And this is, of course, tricky because um, <clears throat> it me what, it, what it essentially tells us in this case for, for the Hadley Center uh, simulations again is that there's sufficient uh, warming and sufficient drought to, to basically make the forest completely unsustainable uh, under uh, the assumption of no buffering at all due to CO2. So on the other, uh, or to turn the argument around, if we want to be sure that, uh, that these forests are maintained under future climate, then we have to be sure that the CO2 buffering occurs. Now, can we actually be sure about that? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's an open question and it's, it's, uh, it's substantial debate. If we look at the numbers, <coughs> Uh, we saw that we had 46 or 48 uh, percent area degraded under, under the Hadley Center simulation before with, uh, with CO2 buffering. With no CO2 buffering, it's 90 percent. And interestingly, also for other climate models, such as the ECAM model, uh, you have a similar amount of loss because despite the fact that there is still a substantial amount of rainfall in the, in the ECAM simulations, <coughs> there is actually so much warming that uh, if, there's no, if there's no buffering, you actually have severe additional droughts on average, which make you lose most of, the, most of the forest. So to show you that graphically, this is the Hadley Center simulation. This is a similar one from ECAM. Um, this is, uh, again, a different model. You, ca you could run through the whole list of models. I'm not going to do that. And they all show a greater or smaller impact of, of, uh, of warming. Uh, if, we have, if we have no CO2 effects. And this is uh, summarized in this diagram as well, that basically 
uh, with one exception, all the, all the biomass change numbers are negative for those models if we have no CO2 buffering. So are the assumptions that go into the CO2 buffering, are they, are they unreasonable? <clears throat> we should recognize there are two independent effects broadly that the model considers uh, in, as, as response to CO2. One is that photosynthesis and generally growth is enhanced um, uh, due to direct impact of CO2 on, on, the, on, on the photosynthesis. And the second one, quite independent of that, is that uh, due to the greater closure of stomata, uh, at higher CO2, you basically lose less water, which is the buffering that I've been talking about. Now, for the enhancement of growth and photosynthesis part, uh, we have uh, the, the paper by uh, Lewis from, from last year uh, from the African forest, and maybe uh, Jadwinder has new, new data or is in the process of collecting new data of this kind. Uh, there is an improvement of growth, at least in African tropical forests at the moment. And if I quote directly what they say, is that taxon-specific analysis of the African inventory and other data suggested widespread changes in resource availability, such as increasing atmospheric CO2, may be the cause, speculative but uh, not unreasonable, may be the cause of the increase in carbon stocks, as some theory and models predict. So, no hard evidence, but indications of, uh, in, in that sense. And actually, I didn't show that, but in some of our, our calculations, we also notice an increase in biomass simply due to the uh, due to CO2 under the under some of the scenarios. For the water use efficiency, we don't know. It's very hard, as I say. It would it would require additional experimental data that we do not have to properly evaluate that at the ecosystem and and, and basin scale. Uh, there's a big question mark there. But if we come back to the risk analysis argument, we may not actually want to bargain on, on this factor in order to maintain rainforests and the services they provide. Very briefly, as I'm coming uh, towards the end of my time, I suppose, Jadwin uh, 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 has already referred to that. We can do similar. Uh, we do not know what, what deforestation is going to look like in 2050, obviously. But we can uh, make similar semi-quantitative or qualitative arguments, and uh, Swaraj Filio and others have done so, uh, on what the pattern and the amount of, uh, of deforestation might be in the future. And we can look, at the look of, of course, using the same modeling approach at the interactive effects between those. I just want to show this, this diagram uh, because we actually now in the uh, through the implementation of the Spitfire model into LPJ, we have been able to test exactly what Yadwinder was showing towards the end, the, the interaction between the deforested and the non-deforested land, the, what we call the escaped fire, which is, uh, uh, again, very hard to validate, of course, at the basin-wide scale. But we do think that we see uh, a credible or a plausible uh, behavior of, of, of fires in, in, uh, in the deforested regions where basically additional loss, additional degradation takes place due to the escaped fires. As far as the numbers are concerned, uh, we, we see about, well, it depends again on, 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 the, on the relative uh, warming and on the buffering effects and all the other effects, but we see an additional flux. These numbers are preliminary. If you take photographs of them, don't, don't kill me if they are <laughs> look dif slightly different in the, final, uh, in the final paper, but you see an additional flux, a substantial additional flux uh, from, from these escaped fires in, in the, in the uh, total area degraded. But that, those weren't fluxes, those were areas. <coughs> but 
in the end, uh, how much do, carbon do we actually lose from, from these calculations? Actually, uh, Jadwin had numbers on, on that too, although they were, they were very faint and, and hard to see. Uh, what, one thing we clearly notice is that it isn't just the Hadley Center model alone that produces substantial carbon losses in, uh, in, in our simulations. Uh, for example, the ECHA model and several others uh, have by in, in, when we take all these processes together, have of course substantial losses, but no model has, has so large losses as the, as the Hadley Center does. So my conclusions are uh, the climate model uncertainty as far as this region is concerned, uh, concerns mostly rainfall. We haven't looked at the seasonality as much, although that's embedded uh, implicitly in these analyses, <coughs> but rainfall is clearly a, a critical factor. The temperature limitations that, that Jadwina was referring to, I think it's very hard at the, at the core scale of the entire basin to make generalizations. You can certainly, I suppose, not make generation, uh, generalizations from those individual organ, organisms to the majority of trees, but we would really love to have, have better uh, data that we could, so that we could parameterize something like an upper ceiling for the growth enhancement in, 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 the, in the trees. Um, the physiology, if we believe in the little we know about tropical tree physiology, then those uh, impacts, they must imply some amount of CO2 buffering against drought. It would be completely uh, counterintuitive, I suppose, if we assumed that there would, no be, would not be any, any impact there, since it has been shown from other biomes and from other climatic regions that such a, such a process exists. Fire dynamics, obviously. Uh, play a substantial role both in the uh, generally drier vegetation but also in the interaction between the deforested and the non-deforested land. And so as far as the conference is concerned, uh, beyond four degrees warming, uh, we think that Amazon dieback die or severe degradation, which we prefer as a term, is a very significant risk and it could occur due to one of the two reasons, either if Hadley Center type climatologies uh, become reality during the 21st century, or if there's an absence or a substantial weakening of the CO2 buffering effects. Thank you very much for your attention.